How has technology changed you? You know that video because it's our lives, isn't it? So many of you smiling and poaching the person next to you and going, yep. Because you've been there, you've done that. Technology has changed us. Sometimes for the good, but sometimes for the not so good. And so again, over the last or the next few weeks, we're going to continue this idea of what does it mean to be connected in a, a 3D level and what does it mean for us and to deal with technology and how has technology changed us and how can we impact and be a part of technology and it not have a negative impact maybe sometimes that it currently does on our lives. So in a moment, we're going to be looking at Luke and following through the book of Luke. So if you want to follow along there, you can in your Bibles or it'll be up on the screen. But, you know, technology has changed us. Even our verbiage, even the words that we use have changed because of technology. Now we say just Google it and everybody knows what we mean. We're going to go do a search. And um, somebody says, hey, what about put it in my Dropbox? And in the old days, if somebody dropped a box, that means they dropped your box moving and everything inside there is probably broken. But now it means we're sharing technology. We're sharing a paper with each other or whatever. Or what about tweet? Just tweet it. And uh used to be that meant a bird, right? But now that means somebody's probably spewing some 140 characters worth of nonsense. And we're going to look at it and follow it. Snapchat and TikTok and all these different things that have been added to our verbiage and we've over the last 5, 10, 15 years, and we've just kind of adopted them, and they become a part of our world. Technology is changing us. Scientists and social scientists are studying the brain, and they're seeing that our brains are being changed because of technology. I don't know about you, but our kids grew up on this thing called Baby Einstein. Y'all remember that? And back in the day, that was the cool thing, and, and you could do all the different stuff. And so now they're telling us, that if your kids were on baby Einstein, then they're in trouble. And so that probably explains my kids, that you probably have ADHD or ADD because of all the moving things that are going around. And their scientists are hooking up our brains to screens, and they're showing that kids probably less than 24 months should not be looking at screens because it impacts their language and vocabulary, that they're not able to acknowledge they don't get a treat or reward for proper human interaction. And so that when mom or dad or granddad or brother and sister, they do something and they crawl or they say a word and immediately those that love them, what do we do? We reward them and they begin to understand the proper responses of human interaction. But with the screen, they lose that interaction. And so uh, the things that we put in front of our kids are changing even how they think and deal with language and it's slowing down our communication skills. Probably one of the best things that our kids can watch are one of these old shows called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood because it moves slowly and they're able to see the human interaction and language development throughout. And so sometimes the old things are just as good as the new things. How is technology changing us? Now listen, this is, I said last week, this is not an anti-technology message. This is a pro-wisdom message that we're thinking about as followers of Jesus in particular, what does it look like for us to engage with technology which makes our lives better, or can, but also to followers of Christ, how do we filter through the things that some are good but not all things are good? Because you can Google a lot of good stuff. I remember the day that wherever I was told that, hey, all of this paper stuff in the library is now going to be digital. And that I had friends that were still typing on typewriters, and I was fortunate enough to have one of the first little Apple screens that had a, a whopping four megabytes of capacity. 
and we were able to type papers and dot matrix, and I thought, man, I am fortunate because I don't have to, if I mess up on a paper, I don't have to pull it out and start all over again. And so there's some good things about technology. And the beautiful thing about technology, too, is if you get into the right database, you can find thousands of articles on brain research and on faith and on theology and all the stuff, all of the knowledge of the world is literally at our fingertips for the good, but also for the bad and for the evil. And so what I want you to think about this morning is that your heart and your mind and your soul as a follower of Christ is like a fortress. And that that fortress is your heart and your mind and your soul. And so you've got a fort wall around it and you've got a moat and that you have a drawbridge. And that every time that you allow something into your heart and your mind and your soul, you have chosen to let down the drawbridge so that those things can come across and have impact and have influence upon you. And so especially, too, as parents and as grandparents, that we help develop the boundaries and the walls and the moat around our kids' hearts and our kids' souls as well. And so we also give them permission to draw down on the drawbridge and what will influence their heart and their mind and soul. And so what I want us to think about this morning as followers of Jesus is this refuge that we have of safety and of boundaries and of life of all of the good things of technology, how are we going to filter through? What are the boundaries on which we're going to ask questions for letting down the drawbridge for those things that will influence us? Because let's think about it. Most of us have more than one screen in our home. Not just television screens. I'm talking about other screens. And so if you have a smartphone or an iPad or an Android or something like that, you can stream information into your house. And so you have multiple screens And with each screen that you have in your home, that is a drawbridge to influence your heart and your mind and your soul. And so we have to think through, what are we going to allow in? And most of the time, let's be honest, when we're doing our screen time, we consistently say, this is non-thinking time. This is time where I just don't want to think, I don't want to be engaged, I just want to just relax my mind. And it's in those moments when we're most tired that we let the drawbridge down easier than maybe other times. And so we allow stuff into our heart and our mind and our soul because we're tired and we don't want to think about it anymore. And so stuff influences us that maybe we wouldn't normally let happen if we thought about our technology a little bit different than what we do. Yes, it's entertainment, but it also can influence our heart and our mind and our soul. So before we jump into Luke, I want to share a couple of passages with you that mean much to me. And one is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And it's a real simple verse. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life, the direction of your life. And so as you think about that drawbridge, that every time that you're letting it down, you're saying that this is not an enemy, that this is not a spy, that this is not something that's going to harm my heart, my mind, my soul, or my children's heart and mind and soul. And so I have done a careful inspection of this and I'm going to let it into my life and let it influence me. Because we understand that through our heart, our will, our character, our mind, out of that is the direction with which we go. And so the things that we take in, they influence us because they don't just we don't just gather this knowledge, but this knowledge takes root and plants within and guides us and guards us and moves us in a certain direction. So even the things when we're mindlessly taking them in enter into our heart and our mind and soul and they influence us in ways that we could never even imagine. 
So guard your heart above all else, for it determines the direction of your life. Then also in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans is a wonderful book that Paul has written. And the first 11 chapters is this great, deep theology where Paul is sharing all much of the truths of the New Testament church, of what does it mean to be a follower of his, and a lot of great stuff. And so I would encourage you to read it and study deep of it and drink deep of it. And in the first 11 chapters, he's giving a lot of theology. And then in chapter 12, and he says, therefore, so he's talking about because of all this great theology that you've got, therefore, this is how this theology should impact your day-to-day living. And so in verse 2 of chapter 12, Therefore, and then he says, hey, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Literally, some of your passages will say, do not be conformed any longer to the customs. And this is this idea of from the outside pressure being pushed on you to form you into a shape. And so what Paul is saying that you got all this wonderful theology of how God enters into our heart and our mind and our soul and transforms us. So therefore, Pursue those things and do not allow the world, the customs of the world, and the way that the world thinks to conform you into their shape. Because the world wants to form us, in particular as followers of Jesus, to look like them, smell like them, taste like so that they will not have the feeling of judgment and condemnation. And for us as followers of Jesus, we're to live life upside down, and that is we allow the Word of God into our heart and our mind and our soul. We begin to see things, begin to talk about things, begin to see people and everything a little bit different. And so we're living life and thinking upside down. So when we allow the world to conform us, we're not being shaped by God. So look at the other part of that. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And so in the Hebrew Thought life impacts the heart life. The two are interconnected. They're not separate. So for a person like Jesus and Paul, when they said those things of your thoughts impacts your heart and it directs the course of your life. So here Paul is drawing a very distinct idea for his people of, listen, the world here can give you lots of valuable information that can conform you into its shape. But however, as a follower of Jesus Drink in and eat the stuff of God so that it will transform you from the inside out. And people will be able to say, I want what you've got because I see that there's something different about you because you do not look and think and treat and talk like the other people that are being conformed by the world. So how should technology impact us? What should we as followers of Jesus do with our technology? How many of you powered off this week? Anybody power off, take the challenge of maybe one person, two people, maybe you all, we all thought we were too important to put our phones down for just a little bit. The need to power off. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Set those things aside. Well, listen, the challenge for us as followers of Jesus is we have a mission. And our mission is to love our neighbor as much as we love God. We have a a clear direction of what we're supposed to be doing with our life, and Jesus himself as our model for that, had a clear direction for his life. And you'll see in, in uh, Luke that all throughout the book of Luke that he had a clear mission, and that clear mission was to get to Jerusalem. Now, for his disciples, they thought it was a destination because obviously it's the holy city and he needs to get there. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. And we're moving in that direction. And so, yes, that's part of it. 
But he understood that as the son of God, that Jerusalem wasn't just a destination, but it was going to be a place of transformation for his people. That he was going to have to die and to give his life so that we could be transformed from the inside out, the relationship with him. So all throughout Luke, Luke is, is showing the story of Jesus and him moving toward the city of Jerusalem. And that was his mission, his direction. Now, Luke was a doctor. He was writing the book of Luke, and he wrote it in great detail. So if you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, you'll notice that each one is writing about the same thing, about the stories of Jesus, but they all have a, a little different bent. Their personality comes out. So Luke, as a doctor, you want your doctor to be a person of great detail, right? So when you go to the doctor's office, you want to be able to say, hey, I have a pain in my knee, and they're going, eh, let's treat your shoulder. No, I mean, you want them, I mean, you give them specific direction. So Luke was that. He was a, a detail-oriented person. And so he was also probably one of the outer crowd of the disciples of Jesus. So there were the 12, but then there were also others that kind of hung around and were in different places. And Luke was probably a part of that group. And we also believe that through his writing, you can see that Mary, the mother of Jesus, heavily influenced his writing and his understanding of who Jesus was. So you'll read throughout Luke, and it'll say, you know what, this was close to Mary's heart, or this was close to Jesus' mother's heart. And so there's this influence throughout of, hey, we don't just get Luke's idea, but also Mary, the mother of Jesus, she's kind of giving some influence to this as well. And so there's this beauty of the detail and of Mary's story being interwoven through the gospel of Luke. And so we get to see the movement of Jesus and the direction and the mission and the, and the clarity of I need to get to Jerusalem and people along the way will not understand, but I know exactly why I'm getting there. And that's the same for us. Is that as followers of Jesus, when you're clear on your mission and you do the things that God's called you to do, people are going to be asking, why in the world are you doing that? And sometimes you may not even give, be able to give the clear answer other than I know that I know that I know God has called me and I'm moving in this place. And there may be other times, look, I'm doing X and I'm giving money and I'm giving time to this because I know that in this moment I'm being the hands and feet of Jesus that I need to be, the mission that you're called to. So look in Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 40. As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, shouting, You are the Son of God. But because they knew, because they knew he was the Messiah, he rebuked them and refused to let them speak. Now, that's pretty interesting. So this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and even his disciples don't even really know who he is and what his mission and what he's all about yet. But the demons, his enemies, know clearly who he is. And he says, hey, shh, not yet. Now is not the time. Look at verse 42. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. So the first thing that I want you to get and think about with technology is we need to disconnect to connect that we need to set aside time and to connect to the one that is the most important, that Jesus would consistently, we see throughout Scripture, he would consistently go away to an isolated place. He would disconnect from everyone else so that he could connect to the most important, which for him was the Father. And the same is true for us. It keeps clarity in mind. It keeps us in vision of what our mission is and the, where we're headed and the direction that we're going. What is our Jerusalem? The crowd searched everywhere for him, and when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave. Why? Because he was doing great things. 
Everywhere he went, someone would touch, there would be healing. And so, hey man, there's some good stuff happening. He should surely stay here. But Jesus, from his time connecting with the Father, was reminded, hey, that's good stuff, but the better stuff is yet to come. Verse 43. But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. So he continued to travel around preaching in the synagogues throughout Judea, again, moving in the direction that God had called him to go. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. As soon as the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. In view of the fact that he knew that his life was about to end, it even established even deeper in his heart, resolutely, I need to get to Jerusalem. The time is near. Again, the clarity for us. And that we need to disconnect, to connect, and resolutely move forward in the direction that God has for us. In Luke chapter 10, verse 1, the Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. There were places ahead. He knew the direction that he was going, and he was preparing the people for the work ahead. Again, resolutely moving forward. To Jerusalem, They thought it was just the place of the holy city, but he understood that his mission was much bigger than that. The same is true for us. It seems like maybe just being a school teacher is just what God had called you to do to make money. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that it's much more than just a career. It's more than a vocation. It's a missionary calling. You know that if you work at a camp, that it's more than just setting the stage and having fun, but it's truly about seeing young people and old people encounter Jesus and their lives being transformed. You may even sell a product, and God has called you to a franchise or whatever, and you're selling that product, and you understand that every time I sell a product, every time I encounter someone that's a business person or a client or whatever, that they're going to be exchanging money with you, you understand, yes, that's a way to make money, but even more than that, that that person's not about money. It's about how we interact together. And in that moment, I'm the image bearer of Christ, and that the way that we even do business together can lead them to salvation in Jesus Christ. Because we live life upside down. We don't just exchange currency and do things. We are about having a wake and an influence on our mission to Jerusalem. We're walking with people so that they can see and understand the impact of what the cross has upon our life. We have a mission and a call. Luke chapter 22, verse 39 and following. Then accompanied by the disciples... Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. In other words, there was a regular routine of him going away to disconnect, to connect to the Father. This was a part of his life. And so that continued to allow him to have clarity of he's going to Jerusalem, he's giving up everything for us, and a continual reminder of the Father loves him, and this is a part of the plan. There he told them, the disciples, pray that you will not give into temptation. Jesus fully understood what was coming at Jerusalem. The disciples had no idea. They thought Jesus was going to be put on the throne and they were going to be part of the court and be praised and raised up and be given, I don't know, a whole bunch of money or something for being with the king. And he understood it was going to be upside down from what they thought. Much of what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. And he walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed, Father, 
If you were, if you were willing, please take this cup of suffering from me. Yes, I want to do your will, not mine. Listen again, he fully understood what was going to happen. He understood the magnitude of that prayer. Father, I know that in that moment on the cross when I received the sins of all of man for all of time, in that moment that we will, in that time, we will be separated like we've never been separated before. And that is the thing that I don't want to be a part of more than anything else. It wasn't the physical, it was the fact that he was going to be separated in a moment in time from the Father in the intimacy of the relationship. What he sought to connect to when he disconnected was going to be broken in that moment and he had nothing to do with it. It was all our fault. And he said, Father, not my will, but your will. The need to disconnect, to connect. Then also for us, we live in a world where we think that we have thousands and 1,500 or more friends because they like our stuff and they do all of that. I want to just challenge you the fact that we need to go deeper with few. That yes, we may have all these different friends on Facebook, but you may or may not. If you've ever been catfished, you know that you thought you had a friend that you don't have. But that we need real friends that are unfiltered with us and that Jesus had his 12. He even had more than 12 that would follow around. He even had thousands. And that the people that were a part of the thousands, they thought they were the three, but the three knew they were the three. And that we need three people in our life that can do life with us on a deeper level. That can look at us and be honest with us and say, you you were doing what you were thinking, what you're about to do is stupid. And I can tell you that because I love you. And you know that I'm not judging you. I'm here to, to walk with you and to say, I don't want you to go to this place. Let us on a, connect together on a deeper level because I don't want you to go through the pain and the agony. And I'm here helping you not let your, your bridge down because if you let your bridge down for this, then it's going to impact you and you're going to have an enemy in your camp and it's going to take a long time to root it out. And so parents, some of that, that's for us too. Is we're a part of that of saying, look, we are not going to let you put that land bridge down. Grandparents, teachers, but as adults, we are more connected than ever before, but we're isolated. And so we're letting the land bridge down day after day after day and our hearts are being impacted and we wonder why our life sucks. And it's because we've let the land bridge down and sometimes we're not even paying attention. We're just like saying, whatever, come on. And think that we can defend it inside of the fort. And once it's in the fort, it's hard to get the root out. And there are things that look like they're your friends that actually are spies and are enemies in the land. And you need to get them out. And it takes friends that will stand with you back to back and fight the fight with you. In the old days, they would stand back to back and they would fight and they would have each other's back. And so they would know where the enemy was coming from, whatever direction. And you would stand strong together. And as followers of Jesus in a world that is trying to conform us to its its image, it's even more important for us to have friends that say, don't do that. It is stupid. Do not let the land bridge down and maybe literally put a lock on it for you and say, I will not even let you think about putting the bridge down for that. Disconnect to connect and have fewer friends that you know are truly your friends. Another principle that we get from this is that we need to deepen our core values. 
what matters most to you. Now, for me, in a kind of a personal way, I mean, obviously, it's my time with Becky and the kids and work and all those different kind of things. I'm a pastor. I'm a friend. I'm a college professor. I'm all these different things. So all those things matter, and you're thinking about your schedule. And those are important things. But the most important thing are not the roles that we play, but it's the character that's being developed inside of us. So when I talk about that, I'm talking about Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. So what has been planted in your heart and your mind and your soul, that is, it's cultivated and manicured and taken care of, those are the things that will be brought out. And so that we take time, and that's painful, and it hurts, and, and it's whenever the trees are manicured, that hurts. Because God comes along and says, yeah, that's not really what I'm thinking and wanting. And he clips it off, and you're like, God, that's, he's like, that's not about me. And this fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.23 is patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, love. All of those things, they take root and it takes time for that stuff to grow and you have to protect a baby tree. Have you ever seen a baby tree when it's planted? It is extremely vulnerable to the elements and anything could come alongside and nick it and cut it and hurt it and disrupt it. And so that's how we have to think about our heart. That's how we have to think about our mind is that we have to put a hedge of protection around it. And very few things can get across to take care of and to look at what has been planted in the city of my heart and my soul. Because I want peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness to grow out and to come from that and to know it's going to take time. And that there are going to be a lot of experts that are going to come and look and say, I don't know if that's really the fruit that you want. I don't know. And they're going to try to conform you into something else and maybe even try to graft other things, other fruit into your tree. And you're going to have to say, no, I don't want that. I want the fruit that God has given me, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. And to know that when that begins to take root and when that fruit begins to show, people are going to say to you, that's what I want. For I see what the world has conformed other people into, and and it, it looks appealing for a little bit, but when you really get into it, that is not what I want. I want the fruit and the labor and the stuff that the time with God produces. To no longer be conformed, but be transformed. A tree that is planted and watered and medicured, and it takes time and investment, and it's a slow growing project. To deepen the core values, what truly matters for us, slowly let down the land bridge to let things in and ask deep questions. There's no rush. We live in a culture that's 24-7 and we think everything has to happen overnight and we need to slow the pace down and to ask the deep questions to truly know because our enemies come and many times they look like our friends. That's why senior adults and others are getting scammed like crazy because they think people are their friends and they're losing their livelihoods because they've let an enemy in their land. And they didn't ask someone to help them make decisions. They didn't know if they had a friend. Guard your heart so that your mind can be renewed, so that the fruit of the Spirit can grow and propagate and others can see that is what I want. And then finally, develop your command center systems. What are the boundaries that you have in your life? What are the walls built up of your fort? What's the the moat around you? How deep is it? What is the protection? What are the code words that will say, hey, this is not going to come into my house. I'm not going to let my land bridge down for any of this. What are the boundaries that you have? What are the filters in your life? 
Some of you need to put filters on your internet. You need to put filters in your life because you know, and you need to have friends that ask you and check on you. Iron sharpens iron. If iron sharpens iron, that means that two people are doing battle and there's a fight. And sometimes, friends, we need to fight with our friends for their souls. But sometimes we're too nice because we don't want to hurt our friends' heart or spirit. And we're actually allowing them to take in things in their heart and their life and their soul that's damning their heart and their mind and their soul, and it's eating away at them. And they wish that one of us would just say, how are you doing? Let's fight the fight together. How is technology changing you? Let's be honest. That video we started with, we know it all too well. We know it all too well. That we would give up the presence of the person in front of us for someone who calls us that we may or may not know or that we're jumping into their emergency and we give up the power of the presence of our spouse, our children, our grandkids, the ones that we're trying to invest in, we're able to let others jump into our presence. Set it down. Put it away and be present. Disconnect to connect. Deepen your core values. And develop the boundaries around you. And slowly let the land bridge down. And let the things that technology provides bring life to you. And enhance your life. And not suck the life from you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the technology you've given us. There's more wisdom and knowledge at our fingertips than ever before. Father, we we can make better decisions. We can do more with all that's before us because of this technology. So, Father, may you give us wisdom, discernment, and clarity over how we use it. Father, I also pray that Because of this technology, the good that comes also is the not so good. Father, would you give us wisdom and discernment and the boundaries and the strength of our fort and refuge that it's not our strength, but it's strength that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's strength that comes from the few friends that we know that have got our back and are going to fight with us. That, Father, that we would let our land bridge down for fewer things. And that, Father, that we would know that when we're even, maybe when we're tired in our soul and our heart and our mind, that we'll just turn our screens off because we know that we're susceptible when we're tired. Father, we don't want our hearts and our minds to be like a desert, parched for water and life. We want our heart and our mind and our soul to be like a garden that's well manicured and watered and taken care of, and that there's fruit aplenty that others are looking at and saying, I want life like you have. And that to know for us that that means that we have to say no to some things that aren't necessarily bad for us, but are not for us as followers of Jesus. Because it distracts us from our mission and our purpose which is to share the gospel. Father, may you break our hearts 
over the things that need to be broken. It's in your son's name that we pray.